But stillborns are useless for this kind of experimentation. They need live babies. And many of them admit the babies are alive, as you said. And you said vivisection, they're harvested alive. And they can't be given anesthetic because it spoils the cells and the tissues. And they want it unspoiled. And we have depositions from doctors who have done these kinds of vivisections telling us what they did is horrific stuff. Believe it or not, there are all sorts of priests who actually see the scandals happening in the church and in the world, and yet they say nothing, or next to nothing. But you know, there's some very real reasons why they keep silent. Sure, that silence harms the faithful, but speaking up can have real consequences for priests. The newly formed Society for Cancelled Priests actually shows us that the growing trend of priests being suppressed or suspended or even excommunicated is no longer a rare phenomenon. More and more priests are suspended, some for celebrating the traditional Latin Mass, some for the Novus Ordo Mass in Latin, doing orthodox things, others for refusing the COVID jab, still others for standing against abortion, homosexuality, and contraception. We are seeing this all over the world. So back in November of 2021, Archbishop Mark Coleridge of the Archdiocese of Brisbane in Australia, he announced that any clergy in the Archdiocese of Brisbane who would not take the abortion-tainted COVID jab would be removed from pastoral duties and suffer suspension of faculties. So he also made a point of saying that any conscience-based objections to receiving the jab would not be considered valid nor would they receive exemptions based on those concerns. But just a month later, in December of 2021, Father Tony del Ciancio, a priest in the Diocese of London, Ontario, was suspended, and his parishioners learned about it in the weekly parish bulletin at Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Windsor, Ontario. Father John Comiskey, the diocese moderator for the Curia, wrote, and I quote, Father Tony has been given a leave of absence for failure to produce proof of vaccination, as outlined in the diocesan COVID-19 vaccination policy. So this policy was mandated in October by Bishop Ronald Fabro of the Diocese of London and Ontario. So for the crime of keeping his medical information private, Father Tony del Ciancio was suspended. The same thing happened in January of 2022 when Father Peter Williams, longtime pastor of Holy Family Parish in the Diocese of Burlington, Vermont, spoke out in a video because his bishop, Bishop Christopher Coyne, was trying to do the same thing to him. Take a look. And being one who uh, is in support of freedom and personal rights, I balk at any incursion into my rights as a a human being, uh, certainly a U.S. citizen. And that was my objection when the bishop started directing uh, matters of my health. In his original message, he said, and I quote, I'm just saying that before we rush to accept all of these things, we should be asking ourselves individually, are they moral? And do they pass the test for me individually? He also added, and I quote again, and so that when I stand before God, that I haven't violated my conscience, that I have been informed about what went into the production, the testing, the development, all that kind of thing. Father Williams took a stand against the vaccine mandate and against the abortions that made these jabs possible on his parishioners' behalf even to stand up for them. Father Williams went so far as to battle the Diocese of Burlington on the legal front. He hired a canon lawyer in the U.S. to mediate his interactions with Bishop Coyne. Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, retweeted Father Williams' video with these words of encouragement. And I quote from Bishop Strickland, Please pray for this priest and so many others caught up in similar situations. Pray that priests and bishops may be drawn close to the sacred heart of Jesus Christ, our Lord, living close to his heart in the Eucharist is our greatest hope for peace and justice. Unfortunately, Father Williams was removed from his parish despite his valiant effort. He posted a video update in June of 2022. Have a look. Good morning. This is Father Peter Williams coming to you from near Roanoke, Virginia. 
on the second day of my three-day travels to Naples, Florida. I'm driving a 25-foot U-Haul truck with all of my possessions behind me uh, because I've been asked to leave uh, Springfield, Vermont. And uh, it's a the truck was packed and provided for by my wonderful parishioners at Holy Family Parish. Hello, LifeSite friends. To celebrate the momentous overturning of Roe v. Wade, we at LifeSite have minted just under 10,000 brand new limited edition pro-life silver rounds. Each round is stamped on the back with an image of the Supreme Court of the United States featuring the date that the High Court delivered this historic victory. And on the front of our pure silver rounds, we feature LifeSite's logo, surrounded by brilliant sunbursts and draped with olive branches, and each round commemorates LifeSite's 25 years of pro-life, pro-family reporting in America, Canada, and beyond. These one troy ounce rounds are 0.999 pure silver, and LifeSite has just under 10,000 in stock. They're beautiful, historic, and forever enshrining the most important American pro-life victory of a generation. This first edition LifeSite silver round is the perfect gift for yourself or anyone you love that collects precious metals and is passionately pro-life. And each purchase helps directly fund LifeSite's pro-life and pro-family mission. This is the first precious metals collectible of its kind that is directly supporting LifeSite's worldwide mission that you know, love, and trust. And now it can be yours while limited supplies last. Get your one troy ounce rounds of 99% pure silver today by clicking the first link below and celebrate life with all of us at LifeSite News. And it's not just about the vaccine. Several priests have been suspended for celebrating the Mass in Latin, even if they're only Novus Ordo Masses. It was in August of 2021, Father Sixto Eduardo Varela Santa Maria, a priest in the Diocese of Alahuela, Costa Rica, was suspended by the bishop of the diocese, Bishop Bartolome Buiges Oler, for offering the Novus Ordo Mass in traditional and, by the way, still official, the tongue of the church, Latin, and facing the tabernacle. Father Luis Hernandez Solis, the diocesan communications director, wrote a letter that explained that Varela had already been warned by the bishop against celebrating the Novus Ordo Mass in Latin, and that the priest had previously celebrated the traditional Latin Mass, um, and, uh, and Bishop Bruges asked him not to. But uh, he continued to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass after the publication of the Pope's, of the Pope's Motu Proprio Traditionis Custodis. It was explained that the punishments on the priest, such as being removed from his parish, get this, so it's not only removed from the parish, it's also enrolled in a psychological treatment center. <laughs> and they say those are two, are expected to be measures that will restore the ecclesial communion and the priest's well-being. Yeah, so you've got to be insane and sent off to an asylum to not do what the church says you should do. It's kind of mind-blowing. But anyway, the priest, obviously, Father Varela, has been treated unjustly. It's even in canon law. Canon 928 of the 1983 Code of Canon Law states, the Eucharistic celebration is to be carried out in the Latin language or in another language, provided that the liturgical texts have been legitimately approved. In other words, Varela, Father Varela was acting within the bounds of the law when celebrating the Novus Ordo Mass in Latin. Later, in July of 2022, Father Jesus Mary Missigbeto, and that's a pen name for Abbe Janvier Benou, he was cancelled from Opus Dei, and he's from the Ivory Coast in Africa. He wrote four open letters to Pope Francis, after which the Pope confirmed the sanctions imposed on him by Opus Dei because he called out the Pope with love and charity, but he called out the Pope. He said in his letter, I cannot in conscience renounce my public criticism of Pope Francis because since 2016, you yourself has seriously lacked respect and obedience to God and the people of God. Indeed, before being Pope and Bishop, you were a priest 
And according to the Code of Canon Law, in leading their lives, clerics are bound in a special way to pursue holiness, since, having been consecrated to God by a new title in the reception of orders, they are dispensers of the mysteries of God in the service of his people. When Father Jesus Mary joined me on my show, he was very clear about why he did this. Have a listen for yourself. The Vatican have to speak clearly and follow the traditional path of the church, not go out, because the tradition is the preservation of the truth. And it's the, 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 the way, the most sure way to go to heaven. So uh, this is my motivation, uh, to help Pope Francis understand that it's better to follow the path of Saint John Paul uh, II and Pope Benedict and all the pop, the Saint Popes we have. There are many, there are so many. So Pope Francis have to, to follow the path of these, these, saint, these, uh, these, saint, these holy popes. So Father Jesus Mary was suspended not only because he celebrated the Latin Mass, but also because he stood against the Pope's support of gay marriage or gay unions or whatever. He said, there is an apparent victory of homosexuality over the papacy, which is considered the last moral bulwark of humanity. Of the 266 popes the Catholic Church has had, Pope Francis is the first to have accepted homosexual civil coexistence laws, end quote. So this reminds me of another priest, 85-year-old Father Donat Gionet, for speaking out against homosexuality and abortion. It happened in the Catholic Diocese of Bathurst, New Brunswick. The vicar general of the diocese actually told Radio Canada at the time that Father Gionet's comments were consistent with church teaching, but lacked the proper pastoral sensitivity. Father Gionet had been accused by parishioners of homophobia, and in the media, after he criticized homosexual, uh, a homosexual parade in Moncton, um, and it was from a homily he did in the summertime. So the mayor of St. Leolin, Joseph Lantini was his name. He was an open homosexual, and he was a member of the parish council. Surprise, surprise. He demanded that the priest be suspended. And then in an open letter, Father Gionette said that the diocese didn't give him an opportunity to explain himself before suspending him. He wrote, and I quote, To you, the diocesan authorities, did you ask me what I said exactly during the homily in question? They did not. But only listen to people who are frustrated, end quote. That was back in 2011. It has now become so much worse. Our very own Father James Altman from Faith and Reason, a priest formerly at the parish of St. James the Less, experienced the same thing in July of 2021. Here's a clip of his first reaction to his bishop, Bishop William Patrick Callahan from the Diocese of La Crosse, removing his faculties by way of a FedEx letter. Have a listen. There was a letter after Mass this morning. I didn't know this. Uh, somebody was sitting in back and saw that there was a newspaper reporter there. And I've since come to find out that this was discussed last night, the final conclusions, which were reached, and uh, but were not presented to me. Obviously, this has been prepared for months by several different people whose input is, is in the document. You can see it. Uh, and... And so, but then it came as a surprise to me. I thought if they were going to do something, it would be probably the end of latter part of June because the normal day for, for changing pastors is, is July 1st. And, uh, and yet it, it came today, as I said, by FedEx and uh, on it, it says uh, effective immediately. So upon receipt, I guess, well, thank God I was here to even look at it or, you know, I, it, anyway, it came after mass today and then all of a sudden the news spread very, very quickly, as you know. Father Altman said a FedEx in the mail is pretty minor, but that he does have a real concern. Listen to this. You know what concerns me? I don't care what they do to me. Honestly, I don't care. You know, if, if I get martyred in the end, well, so be it. Like I always joke, it might be the only way I get to heaven. What, what troubles me is the interference uh, with the feeding of, of God's children. Uh, which is through word and through the sacrament, both of which were denied to people 
over the past 15 months. And, and as I said, they, they haven't come forward yet and apologized for tonight. They have one job to do. You've heard me say this. I have, I have one, this is not rocket science. They have one job to do, which is to feed the people and take care of their eternal souls. Not worry, worry about whether you or me, you, the, you or I get a cough from something that 99.95% or something of, of people under the age of 70 recover very nicely. Father John Lovell, who is the co-founder of the Coalition for Canceled Priests, talked about why priests are removed from their positions. And he says it's because they are, quote, too conservative. He talks about his own suppression on another episode of my show. Have a look. At about six weeks after he was made bishop, he removed me from ministry. He tried to suspend me. Uh, Rome overturned that immediately, and then he basically withdrew his original decree, and the very next day issued a new decree restricting my ministry in a non-penal, non-judicial way. And when you discover what that means, John Henry, let my canon lawyers know. And so for the last 10 years, we've been fighting both on the local level, but also in Rome uh, to restore my good name, because as you well know, diocesan priests especially are very public figures. And so when we get removed, a lot of times people think, well, there must have been a reason for that. And I can tell you right now in the Diocese of Rockford, Bishop Malloy has removed over 12 priests that have no accusation, no allegation against us. And he just simply removed us because we're not yes men or we're too orthodox or too conservative. So clearly this has been going on for quite some time. And what do we do about it? We can't roll over and give up on Catholic doctrine. Well, today, our guest on the show is a priest who speaks the truth in season and out of season. He gained attention in October with a homily that went viral. Father Leon Pereira is a Dominican from England and chaplain to the English-speaking pilgrims in Medjugorje, Bosnia, and Herzegovina. He has made a point of clearly calling out the evil infiltrating the church and the faithful, but in a tactful and even humorous way. Take a look at this clip. Heresy does not breed a new generation because heresy is contracepted and sterilized. Therefore, it seeks to propagate itself by commandeering and imposing itself on others, like a virus. We see much of this in the pre-synodal reports of certain countries. They clamor for changes to doctrines and morals. They claim holiness is an ideal rather than a goal. They seek to accompany, by which they mean keeping people exactly where they are. What is sinful is no longer called sin. We are reassured that hell is not eternal or that it is empty. Holiness is not sought. We are fine as we are. So the truth comes out. We keep being told all are welcome, except, of course, when you're not. We are told the church must listen, but we don't want to listen to you. And we all see how true this is, especially over the past few years. Father Pereira makes an excellent point about heresy today. Have a listen. You see, the heretics of old at least had some courage. They were open about what they were denying. The modern heretics are more subtle. They will say, oh yes, we agree with St. John Paul II. We reaffirm church, church teaching. And then in the next instant, they proceed to deny it in their actions. And they blame the Holy Spirit for all their errors. We are a listening church and we must keep walking forwards. Yes, listening to whom? And where are you walking to? Why would Father Pereira dare to speak the truth even in the face of cancel culture running rampant in the church? Well, because he's ready for martyrdom. In another homily he gave in November, Father talked about martyrdom. Have a listen. Martyrdom is not about dying. Martyrdom is about being faithful to Christ, no matter what. There it is. There is our answer for moving forward as we discern what to say and when to say it in this cancel culture that is really starving for truth, but is also ready to persecute those who do tell the truth. Up next, Father Leon Pereira himself. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned.
Father Leon Pereira, thank you for joining us. Thank you, John Henry. It's good to be here. Father, we always begin with the sign of the cross, if you wouldn't mind leading it for us. Of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I think, Father, many, many hundreds of thousands of people watched your homily there from Medjugorje, uh, from the church there, and were just so delighted. Finally, someone is saying what's on our hearts. Someone is saying out loud, because I think often Catholics in the pews think, we're going crazy. We're seeing this stuff. Nobody else is seeing it. And the priests aren't saying it from the pulpit. So are we losing our minds? So when someone speaks the truth, as you did, it's consoling in a way. It's, it's enlivening, enlivening. Of course, we're, we're all, you know, blessed by it. But it's also consoling in that we're not crazy. We haven't lost our minds. What gave you the courage to do that? I know there's a lot of priests who probably see it, believe it, want to say it, are too scared to do it. First of all, I'd have to say Our Lady. But secondly, and maybe this is my own naivety, I didn't really see anything extraordinary in that homily. I didn't, I couldn't understand why people made a fuss over it. I thought I'm just saying what's what. But the sort of background behind all this is um, about a year ago, just over a year ago, my, my father passed away. And I went back to Singapore to his funeral. And the, um, the restrictions in Singapore meant I was locked up in a hotel for 10 days in a room with no windows. And uh, so I celebrated mass every day. And, you know, and I said my prayers. I made sure I didn't watch TV because I thought if I go down that, that route, it would end in a disaster. But one thing I did allow myself was to play a word game, Wordle. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I thought I'd allow myself one game a day. And what happened is that I became obsessed with my score and I started to, I started to cheat at Wordle. <laughs> okay. There are different ways of cheating, uh, just so that I'd always solve it every day and not have a negative score, not break my duck, as we'd say in England. And it was after a while, I just thought, hang on, this is no fun anymore if I'm cheating. Okay. And I was thinking about how these days everyone has to win, you know, a sports day in schools, everyone is given a, a, an award or a sticker. Now, kids are not dumb. They know that if everyone is a winner, it also means everyone is a loser, you know, and that all of this is meaningless. It reminds me of the early 90s when I was at university and uh, our prime minister, John Major, went around declaring all sorts of uh, institutions to be universities. And this was made fun of. You know, if everything becomes equalized, uh, made easy like this, it means it's not really of any value at all. So that's where the idea came from. So I was thinking about the prodigal son, you know, in, his, uh, in the pigsty, looking at the acorns or whatever it is, hungering after the, the husks that the pigs were eating. And I thought, how would he feel if someone came in and told him, hey, hang on, this is great. Those aren't husks. Those, <laughs> you know, that's like, I don't know, pate, foie gras or something and a steak, you know, and that's not swill water, you know, it's, it's uh, red wine. And this is not a pigsty, it's a beautiful palace. You don't have to go anywhere, stay here. And I thought, this is actually what's going on. When we start telling people that they're okay in their sins, then we're telling them, you don't have to go back to the father's house. We pretend that they are already in the father's house. And, but deep down, they know this is a joke. They know it's a lie. And, uh, and they feel it. Uh, there was some program um, made by, I'm not sure if I should mention names, but a, a certain priest of a certain society who is trying in his way to love people in the LGBTQ community. We're fully okay with mentioning Father Martin, but you go ahead, Father. Okay. Oh, well, I didn't want to embarrass him. Okay, well, Father Martin, Father James Martin. I watched most of that video, and uh, the whole thing seemed to be like showing everyone how kind and wonderful Father Martin is, and I'm sure he is. And there was a young man there who said, who had his doubts, not about Father Martin. He just said, I feel welcome and loved, but I, well, I forget his exact words, but he said, I wonder if it's just Jim, as he called Father Martin, you know, Jim. 
you know, whether he actually belonged to the Catholic Church or to the Church of Jim. And there, I think that young man had a, an inkling of what was really going on. You know, when we, if we water down the truth, if we tell people their sins are actually their virtues and all that, what church do they belong to? Do they belong to Jesus Christ or do they belong to the Church of Me? And I think in the end, yeah, they belong to the Church of Me. And that's, that's kind of pointless. I didn't shed my blood for anyone. I can't save anyone. I didn't rise again from the dead for anyone. I'm not a savior. So it's, it would be useless if they felt they belong to Jesus somehow through me in this ridiculous way, through a way which is actually a lie rather than the truth. So that was the inspiration behind the homily. Um, I, I don't mean Father Martin, but just Wordle, me cheating at Wordle was <laughs> the inspiration. Well, on behalf of a lot of people, Father, thank you for that because it was, uh, it was a breath of fresh air amid so much stifle, stifling air. It was uh, ridiculous. So um, that was a very good day. I remember watching that homily. It just stunned. I honestly think every priest should be able to say that. Every priest. There's no, I don't think there's anything extraordinary in what I said. And if it's extraordinary, it means something terrible has come over us all. And that, that is where we are. Um, the, the cancel culture coming for priests is very real. We're, um, we're actually scared to lose our pastors as well. Um, and it's always the pastors who are faithful to the traditional teaching of the church. Um, and I'm not, you know, uh, talking about Latin Mass. Everybody thinks, oh, that's only Latin Mass. No, it's not. It's every pastor who preaches the truth, the truths of Jesus Christ, which are so hounded today, even from the inside of the church. And that's what's probably the worst thing about all of this. Um, but Father, you've had a history in this also with regard to a letter you wrote um, to an archbishop. And what I find so beautiful about it is also that it gives solutions because a lot of us see the problems. What do we have for solutions? If you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about that. Just a quick note before we return, if you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. This goes back to the beginning of 2020, so three years ago. Um, I had a message from a certain bishop just asking me, you know, the, the, um, the COVID was spreading all over the world. And uh, I'd come back from Singapore, seeing my parents. And, you know, there were planes, plane loads of people coming from Wuhan into Singapore. <laughs> And I, I got out just in time before the whole place was locked down. Um, and there was kind of panic. It was like a, like a zombie apocalypse or something. It's, you know, people were afraid because they'd been through something similar many years before in Southeast Asia with uh, MERS or something. I can't remember which one. Uh, and people had died. So there was this panic. And this, this bishop asked me for advice on what to do. So I was in Trinidad at the time on a mission, on a Medjugorje mission. And so I just wrote down something quickly and sent it to him. This contagion is a test of faith and churchmen respond with fear and human solutions. Of course, prudence is always called for. We should minimize the risk of exposure, but we should also rely on God. I think this is a huge thing for me. I think, you know, we, we can't just, and, and I'm a medical doctor, I have that background. You have to be prudent. You have to take all the necessary precautions, but at the same time, we're also people of faith. There's certain other things that we need to do. St. Charles Borromeo would be ashamed of the churches throughout the world. Many have shut from February onwards and remain shut. I'm basically speaking about Asia, I think, here, because it hadn't reached the West yet. Masses are suspended. Holy water has been removed from churches. Even if these bishops did shut their churches, they might have proclaimed a fast, done processions, made acts of reparation. Instead, the perpetual sacrifice is suspended. For how long? Only the devil laughs when Holy Mass is taken away from the people of God. This is not a major chastisement. It is a forewarning. It is a mini version of what could happen. What is truly scary is the lack of faith shown by the clergy. 
they're scared of looking foolish or medieval in quotation marks and so conform to modern expectations remove sacred things holy water mass etc and not have explicit recourse to divine remedies now he actually asked me for my own proposal so i went right ahead instead the practical things they should do are number one suspend all extraordinary ministers of holy communion because you want to minimize the risk of exposure number two restrict communion to the host only and not give out the chalice makes sense number three let the priests and deacons sterilize their hands before entering the sanctuary and before communion i think many of them did that for restrict communion to the tongue directly only hands are filled with germs and communion in the hand risks contact communion on the tongue is safer if it is done properly now this is true actually i mean it's not just me most catholic doctors said the same thing i think the catholic medical association of italy germany austria uh, austria and also some of the catholic doctors in the states said this at that time that communion on the tongue is safer it's kind of stating the obvious but i think i i do understand that non medical people don't quite see it they don't understand the danger of you know the thing it you know when in practice when you give communion on the hand people automatically raise their hands and brush against your fingers there is contact there is contamination it's uh, it's much much safer on the tongue make taking holy water optional encourage the sick to participate at home with the spiritual communion okay so i was kind of ahead of my time i guess and then then more importantly i said the spiritual acts they should do which they are frightened of promoting from the bishop to the youngest altar boy proclaim a fast let the clergy fast totally a black fast on one day then everyone fast in lent it was lent was just coming up at that time in 2020 only one meal a day a frugal meal taken in the evening or at noon for the whole of lent that all the sick and the weak be exempt obviously but to do acts of penance and reparation let every family commit to praying five decades of the rosary daily every evening maybe let every head of the house burn exorcised incense in the home every evening and bless the children allow the smoke to penetrate the home especially the main entrances use holy water and salt anoint the main entrances with exorcised oil let the children be taught to call on their guardian angels every day before leaving the house and before bedtime i guess i envisage that children would still go to school because covid doesn't really affect children let the parish led by their pastors process around their church every day and around the parish once a week and let the churches sound their bells at sunrise and sunset if the bells have not been blessed by the bishop let him see to it immediately and finally let the bishop lead a public consecration of himself and his flock to the sacred hearts of jesus and mary so that was basically what i said um and i still stand by all of that <laughs> i do I, i don't understand why more bishops and priests didn't do this when we when we shut our churches i understand the panic because they are afraid i don't want to be responsible for spreading this disease and people might die but like the excessive steps taken it kind of shows the lack of faith in the clergy the, within the clergy that you know they're saying the sacraments well we don't really believe in them they're not that important you know stay at home that's it you know the only important thing is this disease that's it that's what we're saying when we act like that two stunning things father that go right along with that one um sad but humorous i mean from a faith perspective they closed lords <laughs> the place of healing closed during a time of the greatest need of the place of healing or supposedly if it was a pandemic that was so bad um that was one thing but a much more sad thing and much more severe thing that i think shocked a lot of catholics to their core was some bishops telling their priests they could not go and give the last rites to the dying my father died without the sacraments you know having been a faithful catholic all his life uh, he had dementia so i don't know how much to it he knew what was going on but but no he he was not seen he was, i don't know he was given communion by a, a lay person who would come around one of his old neighbors would come now and then but he died without anointing yeah my my mom was in similar situation i was even unable to go to her for 
her funeral and so on. So in the old, old days in the litany, we would say from a, a sudden and unprovided death, deliver us, O Lord. You know, the unprovided meant not getting the last three sacraments, confession, communion, anointing. Oh, not necessarily in that order, but, you know, the, we want, because it is a viaticum, you know, the, the thing you take with you on the journey from life to, uh, to, the, to the eternal life. I find it very disappointing because, I don't know if disappointing is the word, I wasn't sitting around looking at other priests and judging them. I was more think, thinking, what's, what's going on? Do they not believe? And I think maybe that's also at the heart of what I preached in that homily, you know? If people are playing, want to play fast and loose with the, uh, the church's teachings, or the teachings of Jesus, in fact, if they want to pretend that they're wiser than Jesus, that they're more merciful than Jesus, then they're saying something extraordinary. They're saying, first of all, to John the Baptist, they're saying, John the Baptist, you are a cretin because you opposed Herod taking his brother's wife when you should have just accompanied them and not be condemning them. This language is terrible. No, no, you're not including them. And then say to King Herod the Great, when he slaughters all the infants under two years old, no, King Herod, you're a good Catholic, carry on receiving communion. This is what we're saying. And if we're doing that, and, and I can't help being a doctor, I'm going to diagnose. I think if a bishop or priest genuinely, sincerely believes that and says something like that, then... I don't think he prays. I don't think it's compatible to, to be a man of prayer and to come up with that kind of stuff. I don't think that bishop or priest is praying their rosary every day. I don't think they're making their holy hour. I'm not judging them. But fathers, if you're listening, ask yourselves, are you actually doing this? Is Jesus still number one in your life? Have you forgotten why you fell in love with him and wanted to follow him? in this vocation. Because if you have, it's not too late to rediscover him. But there's nothing as tragic as a, as a cleric losing his faith. That would be awful. One of the things that was very controversial about this whole rollout was the truth of the way these so-called vaccines were manufactured the truth of the abortion-tainted nature of the vaccines. Uh, I had um, an interview with Pamela Acker, to my mind, probably the greatest researcher on vaccines the world has ever seen. She, yes, as she's been criticized for, doesn't have a PhD, but that's because she was at Catholic University of America doing her PhD and realized that they were working with abortion-tainted cell lines and she said she couldn't do it. And that cost her her PhD. So she gladly left it. Now, she had a disability, so she kept reading on the topic for the rest of her life. That's why I say probably of all people on earth, she's probably the best read on the subject. In an interview with me, she exposed how these cell lines were made from which we derived the COVID-19 so-called vaccines. And it's horrific. It's much more than just, oh, it's just a little bit of this and that. No, she described it as akin to vivisection because, as she proved later, the hearts were still beating in these children when they extract the organs. Remember, it's HEK293 is the cell line, human embryonic kidney. Now, you know this very well as a doctor, but for most people that flew over heads, and what was most stunning to me, people who should have known better, very high-profile Catholic philosophers, PhDs, researchers, whatnot, they claimed she was false and uh, what she was saying was false. They didn't have the evidence, perhaps, but they just said, you know, how she they cut her up for not having a PhD. Um, and uh, yeah, unreal. But Father, I'd love to hear your take. My interest in all this goes back a long way because I told you I'm a doctor and in the order as a Dominican, I trained as a moral theologian. And honestly, when all of this began, I thought, great, you know, we'll get a whole bunch of really good moral theologians teaching the truth, and it'll all be clear, and it'll be marvelous. And then I waited, and nothing happened. And then I saw a certain document, excuse me, written by, uh, signed by some of my former colleagues, 
where they said that the use of cell lines from aborted fetuses was not only morally permissible, but a scientific advance to be welcomed. And when I saw that, I thought, this is it. <laughs> Something has to happen. So I prayed and prayed and prayed over this for a long time. I agonized, I read, I made notes, um, something like close to 100 pages of notes <laughs> on all these things. I read what bishops' conferences had to say about this from all over the world, but also especially the science behind it. Actually, what happened was I, I had a I had a mystical experience. This is not exactly the kind of thing you want to say on the internet, but I will. I had a mystical experience here in our chapel. I was praying before the Blessed Sacrament, just totally paralyzed by fear. And something happened to me. It's something to do with the Holy Family. I'll just leave it at that. But the Holy Family made their presence known to me and gave me courage. So I wrote... Uh, about this stuff. And one of my heroes in all this is Mrs. Deborah Vinage. Uh, I think she's in Texas. The Children of God for Life, Debbie Vinage, yeah. Yeah, because she, years ago, before anyone else realized, she seemed to have twigged what was going on and she pushed and she got the CDF to act on this uh, and the Pontifical Academy for Life. And they did. And they came up with some, a couple of wonderful documents, giving people guidance on all this. And also, shortly after, there was also a doctor from Singapore, I forget his name, he's an Opus Dei, and he wrote an article on HEK-293 on how that baby was sourced, um, because it's often obscured and said, oh, she was uh, stillborn. But stillborns are useless for this kind of experimentation. They need live babies, and many of them admit the babies are alive, as you said. And you said vivisection, they're harvested alive and they can't be given anesthetic because it spoils the cells and the tissues and they want it unspoiled. Uh, and we have depositions from doctors who have done these kinds of vivisections telling us what they did. It's horrific stuff, really horrific. Um, I won't go into any details because it's very, very disturbing. My own involvement in this uh, as a doctor, as a, as a medical student, to work in the hospital, so this is in the mid-90s, back in England, I was vaccinated against hepatitis um, B with a vaccine called Havrix. Now, I didn't know until a couple of years ago that Havrix contains cells from a little baby boy aborted in 1965. He's known as MRC5, Medical Research Council, fetus number five. I think had I known, I certainly would have refused the vaccine and asked for an alternative that didn't use any babies. Um, now, I, I think people are often horrified by the idea that they might be injected with cells from an aborted fetus. It is horrifying, but the it's horrifying because the child was killed, unjustly killed. It, it's not horrifying to have someone else's cells injected into you. You know, I could donate my kidney to you. You might have my cells in you. That's not horrific in itself. But the, the horror comes from the abortion. With all these kind of uh, cell lines, like the American Bishops' Conference, they tried to make a distinction between those, that, those uh, therapies, shall we say, experimental therapies that were designed using cells from aborted babies and those that contained those cells. Now, I don't think that distinction is too important. Morally, they're equally bad. The church's teaching on this is clear. Yes, you can use such medicines uh, if, if there's a great enough need for a, for a limited period, etc. But that you also have, there's certain things that you have to do. May I, may I read to you from, please, this is the Pontif Pontifical Academy for Life, um, from their moral reflections on vaccines prepared from cells derived from aborted human fetuses. Okay, this is what it says. The faithful and citizens of upright conscience have a duty to take recourse to alternative vaccines if they exist, putting pressure on the political authorities and health systems so that other vaccines without moral problems become available. They should take recourse if necessary to the use of conscientious objection with regard to the use of vaccines produced by means of cell lines of aborted fetal, human fetal origin. Equally, they should oppose by all means in writing through the various associations, mass media, 
the vaccines which do not yet have morally acceptable alternatives, creating pressure so that alternative vaccines are prepared, which are not connected with the abortion of a human fetus, and requesting rigorous legal control of the pharmaceutical industry producers. Okay, so that is the Pontifical Academy for Life. Uh, and it's absolutely spot on, but we didn't really hear too much of that when the vaccines were being promoted. We were just told, okay, your cooperation in it is remote, and, um, passive, therefore it's okay. Yes, um, we're not personally responsible, but when we, if we don't protest, they're never going to change the system. They're going to carry on using abort. They're going to carry on aborting babies and using them. And of course, and then we're told all sorts of things. Oh, these abor abortions happened a long time ago. Um, well, yes and no. Some of them have happened more recently. They're still trying to produce new cell lines all the time. I decided to write something about this, and I wrote a short article, about six pages, and it was published on um, an Italian website. Um, la, la Bustola Quotidiana, the, the Daily Compass. And I think also a Croatian website. I can't remember what it was called now, but they, they published it. And um, what happened was when I finished writing it, I was again paralyzed by fear. And I thought, I can't do this because I thought it felt weird to be the only one saying this or to feel like you're the only one. Maybe, maybe there are other people out there, but you know, we weren't really connecting with each other. What came to me in prayer was talk about the children, talk about the, don't talk about cell lines, talk about the children. So I did. So I, I picked 12 of the most commonly used cell lines and I gave their numbers. They all have these alphanumeric designations, you know, WI26 and IMR90 and that kind of thing, you know, but I, I put in brackets, boy or girl. Okay. And then I remember like the, someone, someone did a French translation of the article and instead of boy or girl, they put fetus of the male sex or fetus of the feminine sex. And I, I thought, no, 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 <laughs> emphasize their humanity. I mean, boy or girl. Um, and I went a step further because there's an association in, in the UK, uh, the Center for Bioethical Reform. I think it's, uh, it's run by evangelicals. And they do a great job. And they named HEK 293, the little girl, the little Dutch girl, killed in 1972-73, who's behind most of the COVID vaccines. Uh, they named her Johanna. And um, I thought, this is what I need to do. I need to name these children. So I did. I And it, it was fairly straightforward. You know, if it was a Swedish baby killed in 1963, I looked up most popular Swedish names, 1963, you know, prayed about it and picked a name. The last one on the list was uh, a baby killed in China in, I think, 2009. That's probably around the time she was killed. They were, they were all selected. They were allowed to mature so they'd be big enough before they could be harvested. And then she was delivered through this novel technique called a, a water bag. Uh, abortion basically to deliver the entire baby and the amniotic sac intact um so she'd be alive when they cut into her and took whatever they wanted so she i i called her anna because it was on the feast of saint anne and joe kim and her chinese name i got my best friend in singapore uh, who's chinese and whose chinese is really good i said can you give me a girl's name in chinese something pretty and so he did. So that's how I came up with this. And what I did is I gave all this to some pro-life friends who were very interested in all this. And they put it up. They made a website called motheroftheunborn.com. I think they handed it over to the Friars of the Renewal, who are heavily into promoting pro-life things. So they're promoting it. And, and these children are all named. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful cards, if I might say, Father. Go to motheroftheunborn.com and check them out because they're really, really beautiful. And they give away the PDF so that you can print it out yourself and hand them out. Just beautiful stuff. On the website, you can download the cards and print them off yourself and just distribute it wherever. So they're being given out all over the world, I think. I, I heard reports from Australia and the States and Ireland. People are giving out cards. And lots of people are looking up the website and saying that 
what I did is I wrote down everything I could about those 12 children, everything I could find out about them. And I gave links to Children of God for Life and some other good organizations who, who are pro-life so people could find out more information from them. I wonder if you ever thought uh, that as a priest who doesn't get to get married, it, it's us fathers who uh, get to take part in naming children. But uh, here you were given the privilege of naming a dozen or so children when um, uh, you're a priest and that doesn't normally fall to you. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know ordinarily. Usually when people ask me for a suggestion, I always tell them Leon, but no one ever t- pays attention <laughs> to me. <laughs> I felt a connection with these children because actually, I forgot to tell you, I had a second mystical experience before I published the article, which was the whole, well, I was praying again. I was paralyzed with fear and I thought I can't do this. And the whole area around the tabernacle lit up. And these, I heard these little voices and small children came out, you know, uh, with their hands linked. <laughs> Sounds like a, a modern mass, actually, children linking their arms around the altar. But <laughs> they, they came up, they came out and they were calling me. And they told me, they gave me a reason why I should not have to fear anything. Uh, which is basically that they were they were coming for me soon enough that I would never have to fear anything. So so I, when I saw that, I thought, yes, I have to do it for the children. I need to do this for the children. That's what it's about. I don't care about anything else. I mean, we can't carry on allowing our fellow human beings to slaughter babies so that we can benefit from this. This is this is just not right. If we say nothing, if we don't register our conscientious objection. It will carry on. You know, the, the, the father of modern vaccines, Dr. Stanley Plotkin, he actually said the Catholic Church teaches that uh, Catholics can take these vaccines and it's not a sin. He's right there. Uh, but that I am going to hell, which I'm happy to do. Now, when we do that, basically we're saying we don't love Dr. Stanley Plotkin enough or researchers enough. Why don't we love them enough? Why are we happy for those researchers to go to hell? Because their cooperation in this is direct, immediate, and they are culpable. Where, you know, when we only say things like, oh, well, you know, we can take the vaccines, we're okay. That's a little bit selfish. Father, what are your closing thoughts? I think a lot of people often do wonder, what can we do? We, we feel kind of helpless against the shutdowns and the vaccines and the pressures that are all there. What's your suggestion for the laity? Consecrate yourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and to St. Joseph, to his most chaste heart. Don't be afraid. We, as far as uh, civil authorities go, the state only exists to help us, to support us. They're not in charge. Okay, and if they exceed their authority and their bounds, well, that's not right. (laughs) But the authority belongs to us. And with the church, well, you are the domestic church. Every family is a domestic church. Don't, don't be afraid. You have your Bible. You know your prayers. Um, frequent the sacraments so long as they're still available to you. But above all, do not be afraid of anything or anyone. Be faithful to Jesus. Father Leon Pereira, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you, John Henry. God bless you and God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.